Hi, and welcome to this first ever episode of Tracing Realities, a podcast exploring the realities of people working in the arts through conversation. I'm your host, Juliette, and I produce this podcast for the art platform Underexposed. You're listening to the first episode of the season Art for the Many and Not the Few, or Waits, Exploring Language and Representation. The co-founders of Underexposed and myself are white. While listening to lived experiences is necessary to understand the consequences of systemic racism, talking about them can also relieve trauma for those who are already grappling with inequalities. So instead, we decided, let's look at how racism manifests through language and representation. Because language is a very powerful tool for how we produce, consume, and understand the world around us, and we shouldn't underestimate the way it can influence mass mentality. And we also decided to think about what we can do, regardless of our skin color, to avoid reproducing some unfair structures at the origin of racism. Lastly, but certainly not least, this podcast isn't academic. We want to unpick language and break things apart to fully immerse ourselves in the ins and outs of things. We are still in the process of learning and we hope that this episode and upcoming ones will act as catalysts for discussion. Your responsibility as an artist and as a man is to come as close as possible and the gap is always irreducible to close the gap between what you see and what there is. You just listened to an extract from James Baldwin's speech, The Moral Responsibility of the Artist. So today, we talk with creatives who, through their projects, work towards a more diverse and inclusive art sector. Kaya beach and Marina Georgiou from Mother Tongues, as well as Rachel Burns from the Museum of Half-Truth. Two grassroots projects that try to get us see and talk differently about language and issues of the art world. Mother Tongues explores the language used in the arts. They organize translation parties in archives or libraries and have an online multilingual library amongst others. They work to decolonize the language. And the Museum of Half-Truth, as the title suggests, presents a very different and playful take on a museum one that is as transparent as possible about its subjectivity. In order to create an accessible and engaging cultural space for audiences and staff, the founders try to decolonize their gaze. But what exactly are the problematic systems in the art world? And also, what do decolonizing language and unlearning the colonial gaze mean? Why is it so important? Because of the current pandemic, we call over Zoom from Toulouse, Manchester, and London. Hi, <laughs> so I'm Rachel Burns. Um, I'm a freelance curator, um, arts organizer based in Manchester. I also do some publication designing and lead workshops. And I co-curate Museum of Half-Truths with my colleague, Polly Palmerini. 
Rachel explains how in colonial times, museums choose to represent a particular collection in order to legitimize kinds of oppression. Museums, um, they uphold white supremacy um, and they do this, like you said, legitimizing um, colonialization. And Polly and I both come from a photography background and photography in particular has this very, very dark history of being a tool used by colonizers um, as a way of othering. And there's a huge kind of power in the person doing the documenting um, and kind of museums are another example of that. When Rachel talked about this othering process, it actually reminded me of a project that Ricardo, a co-founder of Underexposed, had talked to me about. It's called The White Gaze. Hi, I'm Ricardo Revelon Blanco, one of four co-founders at Underexposed. And that is correct. After speaking with Juliette about The White Gaze, I referred to a photo book edited by artists Michel Dizon and Viet Le, which takes on the appearance of a traditional National Geographic issue and turns it on its head to shed light on the colonial gaze so that the viewers further deconstruct the othering process. The artist explained that the book serves as a toolkit for criticizing imperialism and the ways colonizers make meaning in history. Indeed, it resonates with what Rachel was saying that white people have told, observed, documented, and colonized the history. And whether we are creatives or not, it's our duty to revisit such history. Now, what about in terms of language? I'm Marina. Um, I am with uh, Vanya, and who's not here, unfortunately, she couldn't make it. And later on, Kaya, uh, we are kind of like founded I guess that's the word uh, mother tongues um, I think it started because we both work in museums with people and we just had some ideas and we uh, which we'll discuss later I guess in the podcast about why mother tongues um, yeah I'm Kaya um, so I joined mother tongues after uh, Marine and Vanya um, and I come from an arts education background Sometimes if you want to be in cultural spaces because of like um, how institutions are very monocultural in the sense, not in the sense of like collecting work because that's colonial, but in the sense of like the way that work is exhibited is in a very monocultural way. Um, um, that you have to like change the way that you your language in a way, even though it could be like English, but you have to sort of like learn how to speak the institutional language. Kaya, Marina and Rachel agree that issues like the very problematic representation of history and the lack of accessibility of cultural institutions have roots in colonial history. But recently, museums around the world have been saying they'll make efforts to represent and be accessible to individuals from different cultural backgrounds. Could these institutional efforts to improve ethnic diversity actually work to disrupt these old racist pre-existing structures? Um, yeah, I think that's the issue is that a lot of it feels like ticking a box and a lot of it feels very, very performative. Um, and I think one of the key things is in say that there'll be a diverse program, there'll be a diverse you know, selection of artists that they're working with, but the working environment for those artists or for staff who aren't white um, 
is really, really horrific. And often like people are put in a situation where they're the only person of colour in a room um, and they're kind of, they don't necessarily then have any allies in that space. Um, so I think, yeah, diversity in the arts, it needs to come from the top down rather than, you know, we need to see more diverse boards, staff. We need to see um, diversity across staff who are on permanent contracts and well paid. Um, and I think it's only when we have more diversity in the people who are making these decisions that um, we'll start to see proper kind of long lasting and significant change. A lot of it feels very, very um, like it could turn at any point because this is what the current conversation is, what's going to be the next conversation. There's a quote from um, June Lingo, which really stuck with me. She's a cultural worker um, and we had her speaking at an event on care at one of the organisations I work with. And she said, um, you want the appearance of us, but you don't want our whole bodies because our whole bodies get in the way. You just want that appearance of being diverse. Um, and that's something that really, really stayed with me. So, current efforts of being diverse are basically too often performative. There's this article called Doing Diversity that writes about the issues of this trend. Somewhere, it talks about doing diversity as a branding strategy. For instance, have you ever seen a poster from a museum or a gallery that has a text with a certain vocabulary of success and next to it, some images of happy, colorful faces. In the article, there's a sentence that sums quite well the idea. It says, Diversity becomes the inclusion of people who look different. It allows the whiteness of organizations to be concealed. I asked Ricardo his opinion on the topic. Doing diversity is an interesting essay. I feel that the word diversity has become such a buzzword within the sector. At times, hiring a group of people because of their ethnic background becomes a way to testify for a working equality and diversity policy, rather than honouring them as an individual. This hiring process can become performative, tokenizing, and in its worst form, manipulative, whereby the said employee, artist or freelancer becomes a figurehead rather than an integral part of the team. It reminds me of an article I read about and talked to Juliet prior to making this podcast titled Hypocrisy, Fake Solidarity and Glass Ceilings, my perspective working at the William Morris Gallery, where Tian Andrews writes about their experience being used as a pawn, as the only black person in the team, to show how the gallery was being diverse. Kaya and Marina from Other Tongues explain the issue with languages, how some forms of languages are dominant over dialects, slangs or other languages, particularly European colonial forms of languages. Um, they're usually given more legitimate status and like as a result more access to spaces. And like for example, like at universities, there's like a common there's like a common way that you write like an academic um, essay or there's like a common way in which you engage in like um, debate or conversation um, or at work there's like a certain way that you're taught you should speak. Dialects 
uh, that are about to extinct or even dialects that are not part of like, I don't know. I, 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 I speak a dialect uh, with my family. I'm, I'm from Cyprus, so we have a Cypriot dialect. So, but I have to speak a, a for, uh, when I'm in formal spaces, I have to speak in Greek. Um, and it always feels a bit like, but why? I don't understand. Uh, not to romanticize it again, because it is, you know, um, we are, you know, there's, there's not, not to some romanticize the Cypriot situation or whatever, but um, there's this sort of like transition of like, what's the right language and what spaces and what does this do to the language when you can sort of create these different spaces? Does it kind of like, because you could just say, but yeah, you can just speak as you want when you're not in these spaces. But what does it do when you've already gone through that process of uh, changing um, the way that you speak in order to like fit in? Um, what does that do when, in general, like, um, yeah. In the art sector, the way formal English is dominant is very exclusionary. Dialect speakers have a hard time. Art spaces are not only unrepresentative of ethnic diversity, but also very hard to access. Take archives, for example. Archives are generally quite formal spaces where you need to sign up to go uh, research. Uh, usually, you would only be allowed to see an archive object if you have a research proposal, which makes it quite intimidating towards people who would not write an academic paper, but actually would like to research archives, but not generate, like not write an academic paper around it, maybe discuss it with somebody later or for any other reason. But, you know, so one thing was kind of like challenging what research is. Marina also explains how knowledge in museums is centralized and talks about how mother tongues is trying to do something different. We talk a lot about decentralizing knowledge and how we, uh, with all the people that we work with uh, and all the participants, that we want to make sure that we're not centralizing ourselves and all these different things that we witness happening at museums. But it's always quite difficult because of the structures that we're already in and how the way that we are built to, be, to depend on each other is very much um, part of this like very um, neoliberal, capitalist, colonial, racist sort of structure. Mother Tongues explores that language in order to decolonize it. But what exactly does decolonizing language mean? Um, well... For me, decolonizing language means like engaging in a practice of um, refusal and delegitimizing like dominant forms of language, particularly like European colonial forms of language. Um, and I think for me, an active like engagement in decolonizing language means um, actually legitimizing forms of language that are common in like our diasporas, whether that's like dialect, slang, or other languages. Um, and I think it's about kind of refusing, um, refusing this belief that certain languages are more legitimate. Um, and I think it also means 
refusing the dichotomy that like language is like objective and it's like scientific and it's like a discipline that happens outside of the body um, and instead um, kind of seeing and viewing and practicing practicing language through embodiment and and through emotion um, and sometimes that can't be done in like dominant um, dominant linguistic um, notions sometimes we have to go outside of that and seek seek other things but for me um decolonizing language is about like disrupting these structures of how we're told things should be for marina too decolonizing language means breaking hierarchies for me i had uh some language anxiety um where i would forget how to form sentences and being in these spaces with other people really like helped me heal this anxiety of mine um uh so that's how i see it mainly um also uh elevating or just basically this not destroying but i guess this mantling hierarchies in the sense that uh everybody's voice is um important and just sort of questioning structures i said that a lot of times questioning structures always questioning structures always <laughs> in addition to decolonizing language mother tongues also tries to query language while decolonizing is about disrupting structures querying is also about questioning assumptions To decolonize and query language, for example, Mother Tongues organizes translation parties during which people meet in archives or libraries, have a look around and chat about what they found in the library or chat about language itself. They do so whether it's using dialects, slangs or whatever suits them most. But we'll talk about this activity more in detail and every other activity they do in the second episode. The Museum of Half-Truth also tries to disrupt these pre-existing structures. Rachel agrees that exploring the language used in museums is necessary to understand the lack of ethnic diversity and equity in the arts. Um, yeah, I think one of the main things that museums do in terms of language that can be really damaging is try to present themselves as completely neutral. Um, and obviously what you choose to um, collect and present is inherently political what you're choosing to give space to and give that power to um and by presenting themselves as neutral i think that does a lot of harm um and that's kind of one of the aims of this project is to start to question that perceived neutrality but mainly rachel points at the issues of representation both in terms of the artwork and also in terms of the work staff concerning the artwork in some cases work of artists of color have not been collected at all cultural institutions that have been and still are privileging certain viewpoints over others. So they have this weight with them, but then if you look at present day and how museums are structured and all the stories that have come out um, really recently because of the Black Lives Matter movement, that um, clearly there isn't that diversity and that equity among staff. So it's kind of how are these museums ever going to move forwards if their staff who are black or people of colour 
are really treated badly. Um, so, yeah, it's I think it's really difficult because there are ways that you can work with your existing collection and reframe it and um, not whitewash history, but really directly address it. But if you don't have a staff base that is represented in that collection, you know, if you don't have a staff base that um, are from diverse backgrounds, then how is that? How are you going to do that fairly and how are you going to do that um, in a way that gives equity? So a reason why the representation of the artwork is extremely flawed and privileging white artists is because the staff itself is so often and disproportionately white. I think when you go through this process of organizing and curating an exhibition, there are so many elements of it that you just do without questioning. Um, there's kind of the set standard structured way of working. These are the structures that keep certain people at the top um, and don't allow that room for diversity and inclusion and equity. Um, and I think we're trying to um, disrupt in this very playful way thinking about half-truths and kind of just having this conversation um, about museum neutrality and thinking um, why is this why like why has this not been questioned so much in the past indeed in large museums just like in any large structure and coming from a development and media background and particularly thinking about mainstream media institutions there's never enough time to properly think through decisions made the colonial gaze is basically never questioned something that the museum of half-truth first foregrounds and then pushes us beyond But how to actually define that white colonial gaze at the origin of so much racism? It's really difficult because um, as a white British person who's gone through that traditional education system, it just um, is at every single step of my education. It's um, the readings that you're given, it's the artists you're given to look at, it's how... Um, It's exactly that, it's how whiteness is normalized um, and any other cultures are othered or any other, you know, ethnicities. Trying to confront that colonial gaze is so important to try and change the art sector into one that is less unfair to people of color. I was curious to know what, for Rachel, an ideal museum would look like. There was a quote, a brilliant quote that I love from P. Lee, who works at M Plus in Hong Kong. Um, and he said that a museum should be a safe space for unsafe ideas. Um, something that Polly and I keep coming back to is this idea of a space for learning, a space for discussion. Um, and that to us is kind of what the ideal museum would be, as well as for um, caring for these objects, um, advocating for these histories um, and keeping records and documents. This project was really born out of a love for museums and a love for archives, um, but we couldn't celebrate them without also challenging the elements that are very, very fundamentally flawed. So, in spite of the worthy claims that have come from art institutions in the wake of Black Lives Matter, from the language they use to the representation of the artwork and staff, really, ethnic diversity and equity have not materialized. 
Mother Tongues and the Museum of Half-Truth explain today's oppressive structures at the origin of the lack of ethnic diversity and equity by referencing a colonial past. Both projects try to disrupt the racist pre-existing structures by creating, amongst other things, a balanced relationship between artists and curators. But the projects mainly focus on different things. On the one hand, Mother Tongues criticizes the formality, monoculture and apparent objectivity of the institutional language English. The project focuses on language and aims at decolonizing it. And on the other hand, the Museum of Half-Truth points at a racist curating and a common imbalance of power. The founders try to be transparent about their biases, alleging and challenging the colonial gaze. But how do these projects actually decolonize language and push us to unlearn our colonial gaze? What do they do in practice? On the next episode of Tracing Realities, we take up that question and look at how those interventions work in the real world. You've been listening to the first episode of Art for the Many and Not the Few, Oh Wait, a season of Tracing Realities. We want to give a special thanks to everyone who's made this first season possible. The speakers Kaya, Marina and Rachel, our commissioned sound artist Jura Elena Sedait, and our graphic designer Lily Hayes. For more information, you can follow at Tracing Realities or visit underexposed.space. Thank you for listening. <laughs>